great song. Sing the name of Jesus. That is exactly why we are here today is to lift up and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. A couple of days ago, Scott and I, along with about 60 others, were in Israel and we had the opportunity of going to lots of different places that we read about in scripture. We had the opportunity just about four days ago to be standing in the garden tomb and there we had a communion service. And we read that passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that tells us that that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That through this opportunity of remembering what Jesus has done, that we have this opportunity of recognizing, like, man, what an amazing story, what an amazing promise, what an amazing gift that God has given to each and every one of us because of him sending his son Jesus to pay the price on the cross for all of us. And so today we're here and as we walk through this time of of celebration, walk through this time of of recognition of what Christ has done. Like this is a perfect time for us to do exactly what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, that we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes by coming to the table. When you walked in today, you were handed, hopefully you were handed a, a communion element. And if you were not, I would just raise your hand right now. Our ushers are all around. They'll be happy to bring those to you. There's some guys just all around. But before we get to that passage and before we get to that moment, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us that we're to examine our own hearts before we come to the table. And we do that because of the recognition and understanding that what Jesus has done for us, it's a serious thing. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not something that we just say, oh yeah, I get it, I understand it, and we go off and just do whatever it is that we want to do. No, it tells us that we're not to come to this table in an unworthy manner. Now, let's be honest, we're all unworthy. There's not one of us here that, are, that we're worthy of what Christ has done. But when it talks about that statement in an unworthy manner, what that really is referencing is the idea, is there unconfessed sin in your life that today that you need to make right before you come to this moment of, of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we take just a couple of moments here today, I just want you to ask yourself that question. Is everything right between God and me? Is everything right in my own heart? Is there something that I need to say, God, I'm sorry for? Now, you've heard me say it a thousand times. You've heard other pastors, other people. You've read it yourself, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's the great gift of the gospel is not only what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, but rather that we also have the opportunity that even today when we mess up, which we will, even today when we blow it, which we will, that we can simply come to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I recognize my sin. I know that it's wrong. I repent of that sin. And you remember we've talked about repentance a lot over the last couple of months. And what that literally means is a 180 degree turn away from sin and towards Christ. God, I'm sorry. And God promises to forgive you. And so right now, just in the quiet of the moment, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. I just want you to just take the second or two and just ask yourself, is everything right? And if not, just simply today, take God at his word. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, forgive me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of sin. As we go to this passage, and as we take the elements in our hands today, we open 
take the bread in our hands, we go to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, Paul is referencing back to a moment that took place in the upper room in the night before Jesus died. A couple of days ago, we had the opportunity of standing in that place. Got to be honest with you, it was a, a humbling thing to stand there and recognize what Jesus did for us in that place. And so Paul writes about that moment. And he writes it not only for those 2,000 years ago, he writes it for us here today as we take the bread in our hand. Paul writes these words, quoting Jesus on the night before he died. Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take the juice cup. Paul also writes in the same passage, in the same manner. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on to write these words. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that is what our responsibility is. To proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection. Until the moment that the sky is split and Christ returns and gathers us together and takes us to heaven. And that we have the opportunity of spending eternity with him. Until that time comes, our job is to point people to Jesus. That's what we're here today to do. That is what we are here today to celebrate. That is what the Son of Heaven has done for each and every one of us. The gift of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for who you are. We are so grateful for the gift that you've given. God, today as we have come to your table, as we have recognized in our own hearts and in our minds, God, that yes, we fail and yes, we mess up. But God, because of your grace and of your mercy, Lord, that we have the opportunity of seeking forgiveness from you and you've promised to give it. And so God, today as we stand in this place with hearts full because of the gift that you've given and the expectation of what is yet to come, God, we are grateful for the gift of Jesus. And Father, today as we open your word in this place, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would give us the opportunity here today to be encouraged through your word, to help us again to obey your scripture, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And God, if there's someone here or watching or listening today who has never come to that moment where they've trusted and believed that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and that he rose again, I pray that today, that the decision that they will make, the declaration that they will make here today is that they believe that Jesus is your son and that he did die and that he did rise again and he did all of that for them and that today that they will do what Romans 10, 13 says, to call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved. Another promise from God. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We give you all the praise, all the glory. You're the only one worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't it great what Jesus has done for us? Isn't it great the gift and the promise and the hope of salvation? Well, today we're going to continue our sermon series that we started a few weeks ago on the life of David. 
We have been talking through and walking through. We started a couple of weeks ago in 1 Samuel chapter 16, referencing when David was out in the, sh- in the field uh, as a shepherd doing what he was supposed to do. And Samuel shows up in the house and he goes through all of his brothers and, and recognizes that none of them are actually the ones that, that God had anointed as the next king of Israel. And then asks Jesse, like, don't you have any other kids? Like, is there another one? Because I know God didn't mess up here. And Jesse says, yes, well, I've got one more. He's out watching the sheep. And of course, you know the story. David comes in and immediately Samuel knows this is the one that God has anointed. This is the one that God has chosen to be the next king. He anoints David. And in that moment, it says that the power of God came came on David from that day forward. The following week, we talked in the rest of part of the first, first Samuel chapter 16, Troy Temple talked about how David began to serve in the palace for Saul. He began to take care of Saul and minister to him and encourage him during that time, even though Saul was going through some difficult moments in his journey. Last week, Charles talked about that familiar story of David and Goliath from first Samuel 17 of that amazing thing that took place in the Valley of Elah when, when they gather together there, the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other, and this massive nine-foot-tall Goliath, this giant, comes down into the valley and taunts the people of Israel, taunts the God of Israel. And David walks up on all of the, the armies that are gathered there and how they're cowering in fear. And David, because he knew that God was with him, because he knew what God wanted him to do, He said, I'll go down and fight that giant. And he walked right down into that field. He took one stone and in an instant, Goliath was defeated. We saw the the power of God when someone simply says, God, I trust you no matter what. Now, when we talk about the life of David, there's lots of interesting things. In fact, I've got like a little little map that I want to put up here today. I found this uh, this week on a website from uh, uh, the Bible Tales website. It's a great website. And if you see this, this is a timeline of David's life. David was born in about 1140 or so uh, b- before Christ, uh, 1140 B.C., And you can see he was born, and then a little bit later, he was anointed king by Samuel. He killed Goliath the Philistine, and we don't know exactly when all of that took place. We don't know what age David was. He was a teenager when all of that took place. He became a musician for King Saul, and and then at the age of 30, he was made king of Judah. And he served as the king of Judah, and there, a few years later, he became the king of Israel also, and then he started making the plans to build the temple, and God began to lay out for him what that looked like, and then he, of course, falls into sin with Bathsheba. We know that. Solomon's born, and Absalom's rebellion. Uh, Then later, David dies, and Solomon becomes king. He reigned after after 40 years. He died, and and so we see this, this timeline of the life of David. And we recognize that David was 70 years old when he died. And here we are 2,000, 3,000 years later, and we're still talking about what David did, what David accomplished, the life that he lived. Like, what an amazing journey. And so the reason I show that to you, and the reason we're talking about David here, is there's lots of things that we can learn from the life of David that can help us in our faith journey today. Now, granted, most of us in this room will never become kings. We're not going to become the king of a country like David did. We've seen the last couple of weeks as King Charles has stepped into that position as king. Like that's probably never going to happen to anybody in this room, right? And so recognizing that, like we understand, let's take the king thing and just set it aside. 
We're not going to learn from the life of David as king of how we can be impacted. We're going to learn from the life of David and the things that had nothing to do with the fact that he was royalty, had nothing to do with the fact that he was king, had everything to do with the fact that he was a child of God and one who sought the heart of God, chasing after the heart of God. And so today I want to go into 1 Samuel 18. Again, the last couple of weeks, we've been in chapter 16, chapter 17. Now we're going to go to chapter 18. I want to read from verses 5 and following. And it says this, David marched out with his army and was successful in everything that Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which has pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back from battle, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang this song, a familiar song, a famous song, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. And David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. Now, this passage, we read these first, these uh, verses here, uh, verses 5 through 15. And there's a lot of lessons that we can learn in this passage that we've read today that I think is relevant to the journey that all of us are on. There are some truths that are found here that that in every one of our situations, in all of our lives, all of us gathered in this room, like there's specific relevance that we just learned that can apply to our own lives. Again, we'll never become king. We'll probably never lead an army of thousands out to battle. We'll never have that opportunity. We'll never do those kinds of things. But yet what we have read today are things that specifically we can learn to help us be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Now, I want to point out four thoughts from this passage today. And I would encourage you, the notes are online in our app. You can do that or you can just jot these notes down. Because again, these are things that that can help all of us in this journey as we study the life of David. Now, you remember, David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16 at at the age of a teenager. And now here we are a few years later. He's continuing to walk with God, continuing to follow God. You know that after he was anointed, David went right back out to the field and he took care of the sheep. In other words, he didn't go from the anointing to the palace. He went from the the anointing to the preparation. Like he recognized and understood, like this is a journey, a lifelong journey. And by the way, like this is not part of our sermon today, but don't lose that thought. Don't lose that truth that wherever you are in your journey today, you have not yet arrived That in following Christ is not something that we do once and we're done. It's something that we do for the rest of our journey, like until the day that we die. When David died at the age of 70 years old, guess what he was still doing at the age of 70? He was still chasing after God's heart. So that's a lesson we need to learn. 
But let's go back. Four things that I want to give you today. The first one is this. David's success grew. We read this passage a moment ago. We saw that, that David in his journey, as we read it in, in verses, uh, verse 5, the first part of that verse, it says this. And David marched out with the army and was successful in everything that Saul sent him to do. Now, the reason that's important, I think you ought to underline in your Bible that thing, everything that Saul sent him to do. Remember, David had been told by Samuel, you are the next king. You are the one that God has chosen. God has anointed as the next king. Now, obviously, if you're told that by someone, begin, you begin to kind of processing your journey, processing your mind like, hey, I'm somebody, right? Like I'm a big deal because God has chosen me to be the next king of Israel. It's interesting that what David was doing here, don't miss this, David's success grew not because he was the anointed king of Israel. His success grew because he was faithful and obedient in where he was. The journey that he was on, the place that God had him at that moment, God did not take him straight from the anointing by Samuel into the palace gates. He put him in the service of the king that we already know that God had removed his hand from. And yet here it says that David was successful uh, as he marched out with the army, successful in everything that he did, everything that Saul sent him to do. David was serving faithfully. Now, listen, that lesson right there is enough that we could probably just like talk about that for a few moments and then go home. Because that is a powerful lesson that we need to learn. Because so often what we are doing in our journey, in our lives, we're always looking to the next big thing. We're always kind of pointing to like, man, if I could only just do this, if I could only get here, if I could only be this, if I could only have this job, if I could only get through my classes, if I could only pass this test, like all of these things, we're all focused on like that next big thing. Stop focusing on the next big thing that you want to do and focus and be faithful in where you are. God does not reward what you want to do next. God rewards faithfulness in where you are. In the moment, in the place, in the situation that you're in, when God sees faithfulness now, he can trust you with more later. And man, we've learned that lesson so many times. So many times, Jesus himself in the parables even talked about that very truth. Like when you're trusted with a little, God will give you a lot. David understood that truth. And as a result of that understanding, David's success grew. And so when he went out with the army and successful in everything that he God that Saul sent him to do. It's a picture of what back in first Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. From that day forward, the spirit of God was with him. Now, listen, I want you to remember now, again, we're not going to become Kings. We're not going to become the generals over the armies of thousands. Like that's not part of our journey. For some of you, you might become a general. You might become a leader. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you for your service. But for most of us, like that picture is not going to be something that we experience. But here's something we can't experience. That the moment that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's what comes on you. The anointing of God. The Holy Spirit of God enters into you at that very moment. And so when it says in verse 13 of chapter 16, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward, that is a statement that is not reserved for the next king. That is a statement that is given and promised for every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. 
It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. When you come to that place where you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on you from that day forward. In other words, here's what's true. The fact that David experienced that promise from God, that anointing from God, the Spirit of the Lord coming on David at that moment, and it was there for the rest of his life. Here's what I want you to know. David doesn't have anything that you don't already have yourself. David had the spirit of God in his life, and so do you. David was promised the spirit of God for the rest of his journey, and so are you. God has given us his mighty spirit. So, in recognition of that truth, here's what we've got to understand. As long as you remain faithful, this verse that we read a moment ago, verse 5, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Here's what I want to say about you. And you can march out into the life that God has prepared for you. And you can be successful in everything that you do. Not because of your talents and not because of your ability and not because of your station. Not because of where you are and who you are. It's because the spirit of the Lord has come powerfully on you from this day forward. That's good news. David's success grew. And so can ours. Now, this is not a feel-good sermon. This is not a prosperity gospel sermon. I'm not going to sit here. Hey, you trust God. God's going to give you everything that you ever wanted. God's going to make you successful. Hey, you're going to have your best life now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, that in the midst of the journey, and by the way, we're going to talk about David had a lot of moments in the journey that weren't so great, right? He had a lot of situations. He had kids trying to kill, his own kids trying to kill him. Like we know Like it was a tough, tough road that he had to walk. But here's what I know that throughout that entire road, when others came after him and when he blew it himself, the spirit of the Lord was with him. And that same thing can be said of us. So David's success grew. But as we see that, we also recognize that Saul's insecurities grew, right? So we learn that lesson, verses 6 and following. It says this, As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul. Now I want to pause right there for a moment. So here's King Saul. Remember, Saul is like the, the tallest in the land. Like he stood out whenever room he was in. Like he was, you know, it said he was a head taller than everybody else. Like he was a big deal, right? He was the king. He was good looking. He was tall. I mean, like he was the leading, Hollywood leading man in the room, right? And so here it is, it says that they're coming back from battle. The battle had been won. Israel had victory. And so as they're coming back, as they're walking into the land, we recognize this. The women all came out to meet King Saul. Now you've got to think, now Saul, because he's human, Saul was a man, just like, you know, many of us in this room, like he was human. He felt, dealt with all the same issues that we do. And so he came out and all the women came out to meet him. You know, he had to feel pretty good about that moment, right? If all the women are sitting out there and like they're all coming out, he's thinking, man, the women are coming out to see me. This is awesome, right? I mean, this is credible. This is fantastic, right? And this is back in the day when you could have multiple, multiple wives. With Solomon, I mean, you know, he had lots and lots and lots of wives. Like Saul, like this is a, this is a big deal, right? Saul was pretty excited and pretty proud of himself. But look what it says later. So they all were coming out to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, with three stringed instruments. And Saul was feeling really good about himself. And as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands. Pause. Saul is feeling really good right now. But the song doesn't stop there. 
Because it said Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And instantly, automatically, Saul was furious and resented this song. Once again, pride was beginning to destroy God's anointed. Now remember, Saul was God's anointed. Saul was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. And what we begin to see in this moment is this is pride began to destroy God's anointed. Now, here's the lesson for us in this room. Again, we'll never become kings, right? And if there are any of you in this room that are in the royal line of succession and you haven't told me, like, bad on you. Like, I'd like to know that. That's a pretty cool thing. We're not going to become kings, right? But just as we learned with David, because his success grew, that because of his the, the power of God, the spirit of God on him that, like, that was with him the rest of his days. Like just like that. What we also can learn from God's anointed from the king is this, that even when God has anointed you, when you let pride creep into your heart, even God's anointed can be destroyed. And if Saul could be destroyed, do you think we can? If the one that God raised up as the king of Israel can be destroyed by pride, do you think we can be destroyed by pride? Hey, I think the answer is absolutely. And unfortunately, we have way too many examples of this truth. Way too many examples where people who were God's anointed. And by the way, see if you guys were listening a few moments ago. Who are God's anointed? Who? Us. We've seen way too many examples of people's lives who were anointed by God who've been destroyed because of pride. And so it says, when, David, when Saul heard that song, that he was furious and he resented the song. This is an age-old story. No one is immune to the temptation of pride. So there's our second lesson that we can have for today. First, the Spirit of God is on us from the moment that we accept Christ, and it's with us powerfully for the rest of our days. The second lesson, that pride can creep in and destroy even the anointing of God that's on us. Okay? Here's the third lesson. When God's anointing is on you, the enemy is out in full force. The enemy is out to get you. You know what John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Like Satan is out to kill and destroy every one of you. But when you are following after the heart of God, when you're chasing after God's heart, the bullseye on your back gets a lot bigger. Look what it says in verse nine. So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. And the next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the liar as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul's pride and insecurity led to some pretty evil choices. He tried to kill David twice in this instance. And in fact, if you keep reading through chapter 20 or 21, you'll see that Saul tried to kill David about 10 or 11 more times in the coming months. Theologians tell us, some say about a year and a half, some say up to three years, that literally up to three years, Saul was trying to kill David. And so God's anointed was trying to kill God's anointed. Saul chased after him and tried to kill him over and over and over again. You know the story. But it's interesting when you read this passage, we read it a moment ago and it says this, and the next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul. Does that phrase sound familiar? 
It should sound familiar because that's exactly what we read a few moments ago about what happened with David when he was anointed, that the spirit of God came powerfully on David. But it's also something we can read when we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, talking about Saul. And it says this, and the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, talking about Saul. So here you've got two people, the promise of God, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on you. Now, this is interesting because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was really not at work a lot in the Old, in the Old Testament. Like he didn't show up a lot throughout the Old Testament, right? That was something that Jesus promised in, in, in the book of Acts, that the, the Holy Spirit would come. Like, like, so that was something that would come later, right? But the Holy Spirit was actually at work in the Old Testament. And here are two very clear references, pictures of the Holy Spirit of God coming down and doing a great work in the lives of two individuals, Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and David now in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But then listen to what it says again in this passage that we just read. And the next morning, an evil spirit came powerfully on Saul. So here's the question. How is it possible that an evil spirit can come on to Saul when we read a few chapters before that the spirit of the Lord had come powerfully on Saul. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. And here's our lesson that we need to learn. That when you begin to walk away from the things of God and chase the things of the world, God will remove his hand and the evil will grab a hold. And that's exactly what took place here. There's lots of different uh, elements or stories or, or uh, conversations about what it means, the evil spirit. In fact, the evil spirit goes back, you can read it again in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. It says the same thing, that an evil spirit came on Saul. Like, what does that mean? Like, did God really send an evil spirit? Did he send a demon to go after Saul? The answer is no. Because James chapter one tells us it's impossible for God to tempt us and it's impossible for evil to come from God. In fact, it says in James chapter one, verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Like that does not happen. Here's what happened. Here's this, this understanding. What does it mean that an evil spirit came on God? It means that God's anointed, the one that God's hand was upon, the spirit of God came powerfully on Saul. God removed it because he had seen the disobedience and the unfaithfulness of Saul. And he removed his hand of blessing. I don't ever want to be in that position. I don't ever want to be in that place where that could be said of me. And, but here's what you've got to understand. Now don't, don't, move, don't lose, lose this or don't miss this. It can happen to every single one of us. You're not immune to that thing. Now, we're not going to lose our salvation, right? That's a promise of God. When you come to Christ, man, it's a promise of God. You cannot lose your salvation. But boy, you can sure lose the joy of your salvation. And that's what happened to Saul. In fact, some theologians say, that for the rest of Saul's life, after this evil spirit came into Saul's life, the spirit of judgment that came into Saul's life because of disobedience, they actually said they've studied his life and studied what we read about him. And they say that for the rest of his life, he became a manic depressive, depressive and a paranoid schizophrenic. Like he was messed up for the rest of his life because of disobedience to God, because of pride. And so then you think back to what Proverbs 16 says, pride comes before destruction. Saul is one of the first and greatest examples of that verse that you can ever read in scripture. Pride comes before destruction. Saul was destroyed. Why? Because of pride. So we need to learn that lesson. David learned it. 
We just talked about the fact that David had to run from Saul over and over again. And we're going to get into those stories a little bit later uh, in the next coming weeks. But, but David, like 10 or 11 times, had to avoid being killed by Saul. He hid out in a cave in En Gedi. I was in En Gedi just a few days ago, looked up into the mountains, and I saw all of these caves, like wondering in my mind, I wonder which one is the one that David went in and hid from Saul. wonder which one is the one that David could have killed Saul, but he didn't because he did not want to touch God's anointed. Like wondering, like, which one? I didn't know. The guy didn't know. We have no idea of knowing. But here's what I know. It happened because God's word said that it did. You see, David learned that lesson. Man, when you're following after God, when the anointing of God is on you, you can count on the fact that the enemy's coming after you. The enemy wants to stop you dead in your tracks, which brings us to the fourth lesson we can learn. And the fourth lesson we can learn is just simply this. The hand of God The hand of God in your life is better than the blessing of men. Look what it says in verses 12 and following. So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. In other words, what that verse says is that like Saul did not want to even look at the sight of David anymore because he was so jealous and so angry. He sent him off, put him a commander over a thousand men, hoping that he would be killed as a result. It goes on to say that David led the troops. And he continued to be successful in all of his activities because the Lord was with him. And when Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. The lesson, the hand of God is so much better than the blessing of men. David could have lived his life trying to please Saul. He could have sat back and think, well, Saul's the king. I want to make sure I get in the good graces of the king. I want to be nice to the king, man. I want to brown nose the king. I, mean, I, want, I want to make sure that the king likes me, so I'll do whatever it takes so the king accepts me. And even if I have to compromise my faith, I'll do it because I want to be accepted by the king. But David didn't do that. Why? Because David was chasing after God's heart. And it didn't matter what the king said. It didn't matter what the king did. It didn't matter the circumstances. It didn't matter the situation. It didn't matter the benefit that would come to David. Now think about it. David was serving in the palace. He was directly serving the king. But because he was faithful to the call of God in his life, now the king is trying to kill him. Let me ask you a question. It's a pretty easy question. Which position is better? Would it be better to be like serving in the palace, right side by side with the king and enjoying all of the, uh, you know, the accoutrements of being in the palace? Or is it better to be running and hiding in the caves, hiding in holes in the ground with the king coming after you to kill you? Which one's better? Which one's better? Living in the palace, right? I mean, come on. Of course that's better. That's a much better scenario. Like that's what we would want. But David was not willing to compromise chasing after God's heart. And as a result, he gave up the success of what could have been. And he just simply followed the call of God. So here's three quick applications I'll give you. Real simple. First one is this. Always trust in the promises of God. Remember back in 1 Samuel 16 when David was anointed and Samuel said that the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you. Don't ever question the promises that come from God. The moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the spirit of God is coming with you and in you and he will be with you for the rest of your days. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will be with you that nothing is too hard for him, that anything that you pray in God's will in the name of Jesus, God will do. Trust in the promises of God always. Number two. Don't let discouragement keep you from God's plan. David could have gotten discouraged. The king's coming after to kill him. He's having to hide in the caves. He once was in the palace, and now he's hiding in the rocks. 
He could have gotten discouraged. He could have given up. He could have quit. Did David quit? That's a question. Did David quit? David stayed the course because he knew what God wanted from him. Always don't let discouragement keep you from God's plan. And the third thing, fear God leaving you more than others rejecting you. Let me say that again. Fear God leaving you more than others rejecting you. I would much rather be hated by men than to be dismissed by God. Saul had the power of God's hand removed from him. And we saw the journey that took place. David stayed faithful to God's call. Did he mess up? Yes, we'll talk about that. Did he blow it? You Sure he did. He's a human, just like we do. But in it all, he still is referred to a man after God's own heart. Always, 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 always recognize that the hand of God on you is better than being liked by people. So stay faithful, stay committed, stay walking the journey that God has for you and the promise that will always come, and not from me, but from God himself is this. When we follow after the call and the will of God in your life, it's the only place in your life that you cannot fail. And that's where we need to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word of encouragement that you give to us. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn, even from a couple of kings that lived 3,000 years ago. The encouragement that we find as a result of simply learning from those who lived long, long ago. And the two different pictures we have of one who walked away and one who held fast. God, I pray that we would all be those who hold fast to the promise and to the call and the will of God. And God, I know that that call, that will that you have for us is something that begins at the moment that we recognize our sin, that we recognize our need for a savior, that Jesus is the only one that can save us, that he died and that he rose again. And I pray that right now, if there's someone in this room or watching or listening who has never made that decision, I pray that in this place, that right now here today, that they will call on your name, believing Jesus is who he said he is, believing that he did what he said he did, and that today they would become a child of God. God will give you the praise for it. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand. Judd's going to lead us. And as he does, as we gather together, the altar's open. Our team is here. Man, we'd love to talk with you. I've got a feeling there's some, probably some people in this room today that are probably walking the journey of Saul rather than walking the journey of David. There's probably some people here today that pride and, and rejection of God's plan. Like It's probably part of your story. But here's the good news. And this is good news. Like, listen, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. God will always bring you back. It doesn't matter the journey you've walked and it doesn't matter how far away you've removed yourself from God's promise and God's plan. This is the coolest thing about God other than salvation itself is you can never get outside of his reach. Even when you think you have, you can't. And so today, there just might be some people that need to walk to this altar and kneel here and just say, I want to come back. I want to be who God's called me to be. 
Maybe there's some here today that want to meet Christ. Listen, our team is here, and I can tell you, all of these men and women are gathered. They would love nothing more than to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, to introduce you to the Christ that came and died for you and rose again for you. They'd love to do it. I invite you to come down and talk with them. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and pray about another issue, another situation. Maybe you want to come and join our church family or come for baptism. Like whatever it is that God's speaking to you, respond. Why? Because anytime that God is calling and you don't answer, it is the first step towards rejection of God's plan for your life. Saul had that happen when he sacrificed rather than waiting for Samuel. That was the first step towards destruction. And so let's stand and let's sing. Judd leads us. The altar is open. The aisles are open. Let's step out and make a decision today. Judd. you could love us. God, we're a messed up people. We walk paths that lead us away from you. And yet, God, in your grace and your mercy and your long suffering and your patience, that you're always standing there like that father with the prodigal son, with your arms wide open, just simply waiting for us. God, help us not to walk but to run back into the loving arms of God. Help us to walk that journey. God, for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, before you leave, the altar remains open. We encourage you to come down and join us here. Encourage you to talk to our team, whatever it might be. We're here. God bless you. I hope you have an amazing, an amazing week. And remember, it is always better to have the hand of God on you than to have the praises or the blessings of men. So run after him. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. 
Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.